Amen. So today, we're talking about love. Right? We are on the third part of a three-part series. This is the final part of uh, Faith, Hope, and Love. And I've been excited about this one. I don't know about you guys. I, I've been waiting for this one. And honestly, it had nothing to do with preaching it. It had to do with what God teaches me in it. It had to do with that intimacy that we talk about every single week, right? That intimacy that we have with the Lord in our personal time. So I've been looking so forward to this. And I love how God takes a complicated issue and he simplifies it. God takes this walk that we're supposed to walk, this complicated walk in Christ, and he simplifies it, right? And that's what we've been talking about the last three weeks, the simplification of our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, hope, and love. Let's turn. We're going to do a little bit of review here. Let's turn, first of all, to Ecclesiastes 4.12. We're talking about a threefold cord, this faith, hope, and love. Threefold cord. There's strength in threes. Now, three is a very important number in the Word of God because it represents the Trinity. There is strength in three in threes, and I want to read verse 12, and we've been reading this now for a couple of weeks. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay, this has been a theme verse for this series. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse in that chapter. And again, this, is, this has been our mantra, if you will, for this three-part series. Verse 13 says this, So now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that's what we're talking about today, the greatest of these. Is love. The last two weeks we've been talking about faith. If you remember, if you didn't get a chance, go back, listen to the podcast. You know, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then last week we talked about hope, and hope being what Jesus Christ gives us. Remember the, the, the word hope in the Greek, elpis, elpis, means to anticipate, usually, with pleasure, having an expectation or a confidence. So we have this expectation in this relationship, in this intimacy that Jesus Christ gives us, right? Now today we come on to the last one, which is love. And Jesus said love is the most important. Love is the biggest one. So I want to look and see what he has to say about this love in the Word of God. God has always told us, by the way, to love him and everything and love others as we love ourselves. He told us, love him like we would everything. He is our everything. And love others like we would ourselves. We think of that as a New Testament thing, right? And we're going to go through those. It, it says, it says that, that same thing in all the Gospels, Okay. But we think of it as something new when Christ came to the earth, but it wasn't. This is something from the beginning of time. I want to show you real quick in the Old Testament. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
these two things that make up the greatest commandment were something that came out from the very beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wow, that sounds like a New Testament thing, a New Covenant thing, right? No, God is the same yesterday, today, as he is tomorrow. He wants us to love him. That's why he created us. That's why you are here, is because he wants your love. It's all about love. It was about love that he gave his son. It was about love that Jesus Christ willingly made that sacrifice. And I, it, it just continues to blow me away the more and more I learn about what sacrifice he really made on the cross. See, it's easy to think on that surface level. It's easy to think, well, you know, he, he died on the cross, you know, was in the grave for three days and rose again, so he's fine now. It's easy to not remember or not even to realize what he gave up for us. I think we're going to spend an eternity learning what he gave up for us. You know, study what he paid on the cross, not just physically. Although I think that's going to surprise you when we see these pictures of Jesus Christ. You know, which I, I just absorbed, I used to absorb and just didn't think anything of it. Until I, I really studied what happened to him. And do you understand that, that his body was so marred, his face was so marred by what he paid for in the beatings that he took that his own disciples didn't even recognize him. It wasn't that they didn't recognize him because of his new body. It was because he didn't look like the, his face didn't look like the person that they had known for three years. Because of the beatings that he took. Because of the fact that Isaiah says they ripped out his beard. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but sections of beard that are ripped off, they don't grow back. So his face was marred. He paid a price that is an eternal price. It's important to understand that why he did that was love. He loves us. Satan would like us to think that it was a nice little package and, you know, you don't, yeah, you paid a price, you don't really need to put a lot of thought into that. But I guarantee you, the more you learn about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, the more intimate your walk will be with him. It can't help but not be. Because of what he did. He gave us life. He gave us everything. Now turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Again, we have the one where, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but, you know, it doesn't say in there anything about your neighbor, right? Well, let's turn to Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so I guess that's not a new concept. I guess that is something that God established from the very, very beginning. It's important to understand that as we go into now the New Testament, where he brings it out in all the Gospels. And by the way, all the Gospels, 
with the exception of John, we're going to find these, this same verse. And I'll tell you why it's not in John when we get there. But let's look at them. Turn to Matthew. And I know we're, we're going to be turning to a lot of verses this morning. But if, if you can't turn there that fast, it's, it's up on the screen. I, I have faith that it'll be up on the screen. Is it not? Okay. <laughs> Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40 says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said unto them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus was putting significance on these two. And, and if you, as you start to study the Bible, the Bible doesn't have to be overwhelming. Take it piece by piece, and as you are able to start to absorb more and more and more, what you're going to find happens is it gets more narrowly focused. Because Jesus actually simplifies things. He takes that, in, just like he did here with all the commandments, and I'm, I'm not just talking about ten, the Ten Commandments, I'm talking about all the commandments of Leviticus, he took and he wrapped into two things. What he just said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. With everything that you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things encompass the entire law. And what's the focus of those two things? It's love. So really, in reality, the entire law, the entire thing that God gave us to govern ourselves and for us to be with him in intimacy comes down to one word, and it's love. Love. Man, love. Let's turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read this in all the Gospels here. Mark chapter 12 Verse 28 to 31 says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing he answered them, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, it's three in, he's three persons in one. The Lord is one. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. See, Jesus understood that the need to simplify was important. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10.27 says this. 10.27 And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
He's, he's driving home here this idea that the Christian walk is simple. It boils down to those two things. So as I said, the entire book of John, it, it, we don't find this, this verse in the, in the entire book of John. Why is that? It's in all three of the other Gospels. You have to understand, as you look through John, John, the entire book of John, is written through the lens of love. It's written through this very lens that we're supposed to get, that we're supposed to narrow down to. But I want you to look up one verse in John, or two verses actually. John 13 John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So he's telling his people, you've got to care for each other. You've got to love each other. But then he adds verse 35. And this is what I want to get at this morning. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. See, love is how people will know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Love is the very testimony that oozes out of who you are when you're following him. You want to be a testimony for Jesus Christ, you can't do it without love. You can't do it without loving other people. I want to go as far as to say that love is the very litmus test of our intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's huge. I want to say that again. I want you to get this. Understand this. Love is the very litmus test, right, of our intimacy with Jesus Christ. We've talked about intimacy for a long time. Since we started. Because the walk that we have with Jesus Christ is all about that intimacy. It's about that one-on-one with Jesus Christ, right? Well, the test of that intimacy, because we're to love the world. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to reach out to people in love. And the very litmus test of who we are, that intimacy with Jesus Christ, is that love that we show other people. Now, if you really think about that for a minute, that's a little tough to take. Think about it. How do you love people? Do you choose the people you love? Well, I'll love this person, but not this person. See, he didn't didn't distinguish any of that in there. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And that very love that pours out of us is the litmus test of our intimacy with him. Remember a few weeks ago I gave the example of a 55-gallon drum. When you take a hose, you turn on a hose, throw that in the drum, and let it fill up. That's filling up with the love of Christ. It doesn't affect other people until it spills over. Until it spills over and affects everything around it. See, that is our testimony. And that testimony is based on our intimacy. It can't be based on our knowledge. I've been saved for 42 years. I know, I've studied the Bible, I've taught the Bible for 25. However, 
the intellectual knowledge of knowing the Word of God does not get you to that intimacy. Do you know there are people that, that these, I don't know, at school or whatever, theologians or whatever, that, that know the Word of God and yet don't even know Jesus Christ. You can know and have intellectually a knowledge of who he is or what he did, historical facts, without the intimacy. It's important to understand the distinction. Intimacy isn't something that you read about. Intimacy is something that you experience. See, I can read about my wife before I knew her, before I met her. Before we got married. I could read all about her. I can know everything about her. I can know more things about her than perhaps she even knows about herself. If they're written down. I could learn about her. But do you know, I really don't know her until I am spending time with her. Until I am letting her speak to me. Until I make myself vulnerable with her. So that we commune together. Do you get the difference? See, that's important to understand. Because you can spend a lifetime of knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and be saved. You can have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can have a knowledge of his word. You can know him as Savior. But not have the very intimacy that he desires. And that makes you effective. I say that from experience. I say that from the experience of almost 40 years of not understanding the level of intimacy that he offers and that he desires of me. So when you go and you search him in that secret place, in that intimate place, that's where the change happens. That's where the spark is. That's where the life is, the very life. See, it's about our love for him and about our love for others. Our love for him is what he sees and what's intimate between us. Our love for others is the very pouring out of him filling us up. You see what I'm saying? It cannot be just a part-time thing. Intimacy cannot be a Sunday thing. You can't just come to church, get your church on, and feel good for the week. And then it's okay. You know, I'll come to church, I'll, I'll ask forgiveness for all my sins, and I'll worship, and everybody will see me, and I've got my testimony intact because I went to church. You know what? You might fool some people. But you're not fooling God. Because that's not what God wants. I mean, that's awesome that you're just coming to church. It's awesome that you worship. It's awesome that you, you proclaim His name when you're in a group of people. But what about when you're in your bedroom? What about when you're in your quiet place? What about when nobody's watching? How do you spend your time... With Jesus Christ. How do you spend your time not just learning about him? See, again, you can look at the Bible. You can, 
You can learn intellectually in the Word of God what's going on. But that's an absence of the Holy Spirit opening up those pages to you that are alive, by the way. The Word of God is alive, it says. So to breathe the very life that the Word of God has, you've got to go to it through intimacy. You've got to go through it with this love filter. That Jesus, I want this. Why? Because I love you. If this is going to make me closer to you, not more, more knowledgeable of you, because see, knowledge is at, is at arm's length. I can control knowledge. I can control what I bring in in knowledge, what I believe, what I don't believe. Oh boy. But you start to get intimate. You start let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. You can't control that. You can't control that. And that's really scary for a lot of people. We, we want to control. We want to have him where it's not out of our comfort zone. Right? We've talked that, about that a lot. But if you want intimacy with Jesus Christ, you can't have it both ways. You can't just be in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, live a good life. You're saved. You've got heaven as your destination. A good life, and, and you, you've got this, this thing all planned out, and it's under awesome control. See, you can't have that and have intimacy. Because when you have intimacy, you have to give up the control. You have to let the Holy Spirit come in and do what he wants to do. And this is truly the difference. You've, you've heard it said that, well, I don't like, I don't believe in religion. It's really a relationship. And that's a cliche. And, and, and I hate the word religion. I hate it. Well, what kind of religion are you? Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what to tell them. I don't know. I love Jesus Christ. <laughs> is that a religion? No, because it's a relationship. See, you all... To my intimacy with Jesus Christ, you all are an after effect. You are, are an outside pouring out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's the same with each one of you to everybody else. See, it's not a religion. It's not a thought process that we learn in the Word of God and we go through and, well, we, here's the list of things we believe. Here's my religion, the 100 things that I believe. Right? Wow, where does that get you? doesn't get you closer to Jesus Christ. It doesn't. Why? Because that's not what he wants. He talks about obedience. It's not obedience in those things. It's obedience in the very thing he said was the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All your strength, all your power, everything that you are, love Jesus Christ. Love God the Father. Love the Holy Spirit. By the way, you've got to include all three. <laughs> you can't leave out the one that makes you feel uncomfortable, which is the Holy Spirit. He is the very Spirit of Christ that works in our lives. You can't leave any of that out, he said. Hey, remember we read... He said, God is one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is one. You've got to love them all. 
You've got to receive and commune and be intimate with every single one of the persons of the Trinity. And it's that love, that intimacy then that flows out to everybody else. And I don't know. To me, that's awesome. To me, that's so freeing because not that I don't want to know the knowledge of the Bible. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying knowledge is bad. I'm saying it's got to be applied and cannot be put ahead of intimacy. I want to have knowledge of the Word of God. I need to. Why? Because I teach it. But two, because I want to see if there's something in there that I'm not doing. Or something in there that shows me a little bit, uh, just another glimpse of who God is. Who Jesus Christ is. Who the Holy Spirit is. And how he wants to work in my life. So I'm not saying knowledge is bad. Please don't go home and say, well, I didn't read my Bible because Greg said I didn't need to. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it cannot replace the intimacy. It cannot replace the one-on-one. Because you can't get to know him if you're not vulnerable with him. And it's through that vulnerability, through that getting to know him, that it's a relationship. It's no longer religion. Religion doesn't get anybody anywhere. Relationship changes the world. That's what he died for, was relationship with you, with me. And oftentimes, we really create religion to make us feel better. We create these parameters of things we can control to make us feel better. By the way, it's the very first thing that happened after the fall of man. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What was the first thing they did? They went and sewed fig leaves together because they realized they were naked. Okay, it obviously wasn't a problem for them before. How did they realize that something had changed? Well, it was because of the sin that opened their eyes to what sin even was. And what was their first reaction? Because you've got to remember, God was their best friend. God walked with them throughout the garden. In the still of the day, they'd spend time together. They were intimate together. So when they lost this and when they realized what they had done, what was their first reaction to reconcile to God? Cover it up. Cover up their sin. Like God wouldn't notice. (laughs) They attempted to reconcile themselves to God through a man's means. That's religion. That's religion right there. Man's attempt to reconcile himself to God. And it doesn't mean that you can't be saved in a religion. That's not the point. You know, if you, if you say, well, I'm this religion or I'm that religion, you can have salvation within religion. But relationship is a different mind frame. Relationship is getting to know the very God that died on the cross for your sins. Is intimacy with him, spending time with him, being vulnerable, which is a huge requirement. Being vulnerable with him. 
We've got to be vulnerable with him. So this, this brings us to what's called the love chapter. And I want to go through some of this here. But we'll, we'll kind of go through and, and uh, pull out some pieces here. To God, love was so important that he made it the most important word in the, in the word of God. He said so in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He said, you have faith, hope, and love, but of the three of those, love is the most important. So let's go back through and let's read that chapter and understand why he said that. First of all, verses 1 through 3 are important to understand. What happens if we don't have love? And I want you to apply this to yourselves and, and get a mental picture of where you're at in terms of love in your own life. Love for Jesus Christ and love for your neighbors. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In in other words, that secondary phrase there, say, I accomplish nothing. Let me reread it that way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I accomplish nothing. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now remember there in verse 2 what he's saying there, if I know the entire word of God, if I have the head knowledge, if I know what's going on but I don't have love, I don't have intimacy, I am nothing. Think about that statement. I am nothing. Verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, if we don't have love, we don't accomplish anything, we don't amount to anything, And we don't gain anything. That's huge. That's pretty much everything. (laughs) Right? That's everything. That that is everything boiled down into one word. If we don't have that word, we don't have these things. Bottom line. So, God's telling us here just how important this concept of love is. Let's look at verse 4 through 7. The Bible now tells us what love is. He says, if you don't have it, you're not accomplishing anything. You don't become anything. You know, you don't have any effect. So let me tell you what it is. This, this elusive thing called love, let's look at what it is. It's in verses 4, four through 7. He breaks it out. Love is patient. Ouch. Love is kind. Okay, well, we can, we can do that one. Love does not envy or boast. Okay, well, that could be a little tougher. Love is not arrogant. I don't know about you, but for Americans, that one doesn't work. Because in America, we're, we're built to succeed. We're built to be number one. Right? That, that's just our paradigm. Our paradigm is self-serving. So that, that's a tough one. I, I don't know about you. It's a tough one. 
Love's not arrogant. It's not rude. Here's a tough one. It does not insist on its own way. That's hard. Especially if you don't, don't like the other person's way. You know, that's tough. But love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. How many people do you know that have so much resentfulness in their heart that they can't function properly? They can't have relationships. Why? Because they were hurt. They were hurt so deeply, and they resent the people for it. I'm sure all of us have experienced that to a certain extent. I'm sure, I'm sure all of us know people like that. Does it hurt the person they resent? No, the, the person they resent probably more times than not has no clue. Or isn't paying attention anymore because they're off in some other point of life. It hurts the person who's resentful. Why? Because love can't dwell there. You understand, both cannot be controlling the same area. If you have resentfulness in your heart, you cannot have love in your heart. If you re resent a person that did something wrong to you, that wronged you, you certainly can't love them. You can maybe tolerate them. You can maybe ignore them. But that's so different than what God says to do. That's so different than the intimacy that he requires of us. Uh, verse 6. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's pretty straightforward. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now as we read this, this description of love, picture Jesus Christ. See, he was the perfect embodiment of those things. Do you think he had occasion to resent the people that put him on the cross? Even if it was right then and there, because in reality, each of us put him on the cross. Do you think he had a right, if you will, to resent them? See, we would say yes, but no. He had no right to do that. Why? Because he's love. Love has no resentment. Jesus Christ is love, and he could not resent, because you can't have love and resentment in the same place. Now, we may humanly say he certainly had a right, because of the wrong that, he, that was done to him. But he has perfect love. And the perfect love in him would not allow the resentment to be there. Do you know that applies to us today? You don't have to have resentment. You don't have to have difficulty with somebody else, perhaps difficulty with a family member, difficulty with a friend, or someone that used to be a friend, <laughs> no longer a friend. 
perhaps a, a circumstance at work, perhaps even a best friend. Perhaps somebody that you were so close to that turned on you, did something to you, that you feel gives you the right to lock them out of your life. If we went around the room, I guarantee every single one of us has somebody like that. Where we feel like it is our right to lock them out of our life. Why? Because they hurt us. Why? Because they're wrong. Man, imagine if Jesus Christ felt that same way. Imagine if when he got to where they were about to put him on the cross and he just thought, whoa, never mind. Not going to do this. These people don't deserve it. Where would we be? We wouldn't have the same destination we have now. We wouldn't have the same opportunity to believe in him, accept him as our savior, and spend eternity with him. How about you? How about the, the person that you have this resentment, this hurt over? Imagine if you didn't have it. Imagine if that was replaced by love. Wow. That, that's almost hard to think about. If you have somebody that you've had resentment for so long with, it's, it's almost hard to think about loving them. But yet Jesus Christ said, you want intimacy with me. You want to be right with me. You want joy in your life. You want the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those. You want those. You better have love. See, because you can't get any of that without it. You might have pieces of it. You might have a counterfeit of it. Well, I have joy. I have happiness. I have peace sometimes. See, if you have intimacy in this love with Jesus Christ, you have those things all the time. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. That's what he wants to give us. Love is also the one thing that will never end. Let's, let's look at verse 8 through 10. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. By the way, what it's talking about here in chapter 13, it had just gone through in chapter 12 about the giftings of the Holy Spirit, the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit, talking about how they're, what they are, what you can expect, what he wants to do through people in his church. Now he comes into verse 13 and he says, all those things are going to come to an end at some point. By the way, side note, it tells you when. It says when the perfect comes. That isn't the canonization of the scripture. The perfect is Jesus Christ. When the perfect comes, you don't need any of the other. Why? Because you're with him. We'll be with him one day. That's why it says all those things will pass away. 
You won't need prophecies anymore. You won't need tongues anymore. You won't need any of these manifestational gifts anymore is what Paul's saying there. You won't need any of that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is with you. When the perfect comes, you don't have any need of that. Except one thing. Love. Love is the one thing that continues on. Of all these giftings, all these things that he does through us and gives us, the one thing remains is the very thing that made him come and die on the cross for us in the first place. The very thing that caused him to create us in the first place was this idea of love. So love never ends. Verse 11 it talks about now, now let's continue on. When I, when I was a child, Paul says, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, he, he was saying, in this idea of love, he goes from selfish to selfless. See, you meet a, a little child, and inherently they are selfish in their love. Now, they understand love. They can receive love. They can give love. But their whole paradigm is a selfish love. It's where they're at. It's what they receive. And what Paul is saying is, as Christians, we have to get beyond that. We all grow up. We, we pass that point in our walk with Christ. When you first got saved, you had an understanding of Jesus Christ's love in your life. You had to have to be saved. So from there, your selfish idea of this love is, what can Jesus do for me? Well, he saved me. Amen. But he's not done there. What else is he going to do for me? What does he teach me? What is, does he pay my bills? Does he do this, do that? See, when we're young in Christ, we look at him as a list of things that he's going to do. But, but what Paul says here is, it's time to grow up and realize that it is more of a selfless love that he wants. A selfless love where he fills us up, but we pour it out to everybody around us. We don't pick and choose. We pour it out. To everybody. Let's look at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So he's talking about how we are in our intimacy with him. Do you think Jesus Christ fully knows you? Yeah. Until the day that we are with him, verse 12 just said, we'll know him fully. We'll know him fully as we are known. He knows everything about us. So when we are with him, he will reveal everything about him. He'll reveal himself fully to us. Until that point, we have to submit ourselves to him in love. We have to learn who he is through the very intimacy that allows him to show us who he is. If you are intimate with Jesus Christ, he will reveal himself more and more and more and more and more. 
And he doesn't just reveal himself through the word. He applies the word. He applies the word. When you're filled with him, his very spirit comes and makes the word alive. It's not just black and white on paper. It's relationship. See, one day we'll understand his love fully and completely. So is your intimacy with God displayed through your love for others? If you can go home with one thing today, it would be the thought process that the Christian walk is simplified into this. I love you, God. I love you with everything that I am. Holding nothing back. And you know if you're holding something back. People aren't stupid. You know. You know intimately in your heart if you're holding back something from the Lord. So Lord, the intimacy that I have with you, that love, and then realizing that it's that love that people see. You want to have a testimony for Jesus Christ? Fall in love with Jesus Christ. You want to make a difference in your family's life? In your friend's life? Even friends that don't know Christ? Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, he cannot help but permeate every part of your life. And people that are around you can't help but see that. Why? Because you're boiling over. The, the, the filling of Jesus Christ is, is more than you can absorb. You've absorbed to the max, but he keeps pouring. He does that so then he can affect those around you. See, that's relationship. That's testimony. It's not walking out the door and making a choice that I'm going to hand out a bunch of tracts today. It's walking out the door seeing somebody who needs Christ and just knowing in your heart, I've got to talk to them. Or I've got to give them this tract. Or I've got, got to somehow let the love of Christ flow through me. That's intimacy. That's relationship. That's the foundation, the very foundation that Ignition Church is built upon. We, we say that we're this army rising up. If we are not fashioned around this one word, then we're not going to be much of an army. Because, see, God has a plan for each one of you he has a plan for you to be fruitful with the group that is around you day in and day out. And that love that he permeates you with, he intends to overflow. But you've got to let him. You've got to let him by first being intimate in the first place. And then by not stopping him, by letting him continue to fill you up.
Let's bow our heads in prayer.